Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. said about that song. Well, that's what I believe. Matter of fact, Jay, where, where's Jay? Where'd he go? Well, tell him. He'll be back in here in a minute. I used to say, I want the eyes of Texas are upon you sung at my funeral, but I want that song sung at my funeral. Amen. It's not going to be anytime soon, and unless you don't like what I preach today, but um, what a wonderful truth that is. The Word of God doesn't change. And how wonderfully it fits with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Today and next week, Lord willing, we're going to spend some time in chapter 6 of the book of 2 Samuel. It is a very, very important chapter in all of the Bibles. As a matter of fact, I would say... 2 Samuel 6 and 2 Samuel 7 are two of the most important chapters in all of the Bible in terms of the past, the present, and the future. And we're going to take a look at chapter 6 today and next week, the Lord willing. Next Sunday, we will be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And while... I wish I could say I planned it this way. I did not plan it in my preaching schedule this way. But it is very fitting that we deal with chapter 6 in light of the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. But I want to say not only for the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, but for every single gathering of the body of Christ. Chapter 6 is very important. The Bible says to believers, forsake not the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, especially as you see the day approaching. Our gathering to worship on Sunday morning is commanded in Scripture. It's illustrated and exhibited and exemplified for us in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And it is mandated by God for His people so we can worship Him by obedience, by prayer, and in adoration through song, and in hearing and adhering. Hearing and adhering to the Word of God that is unchanging. And so, I really want you to pay attention today and next week. Matter of fact, I'll encourage you to write some notes from this text. This is one of those texts of Scripture that, that will... It won't make anybody mad. But some folks choose to get mad. Because it's going to disrupt their apple cart. It's going to force them to make some adjustments. And um, I just wanted you to know that, and we're not shying away from that. 
We're facing it head on from 2 Samuel 6. This study in 2 Samuel and in this chapter, for me personally, has been a very life-changing text. It has revolutionized my approach to my worship experience on the Lord's day. And I pray it will for you as well. From this chapter, we learn the doctrine of worship. If you ever read a book about worship, and this book does not deal with 2 Samuel 6, it is an incomplete book on worship. You cannot understand the doctrine of worship without reading and studying 2 Samuel 6. From this chapter alone, we can develop a fundamental, the fundamentals of the doctrine of what it means to worship our Savior in our context on the Lord's day. So this morning, we're going to see what I call not worship. Next week, we're going to see what worship is. But this morning, we're going to speak on the subject from the text, from the text, not worship. Whatever David did in this section that I'm about to read to you, whatever experience they had, it was not worship. Let's read together. Again, Chapter 1 of, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, 2 Samuel. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwells between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David... And all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day, meaning a breakout upon Uzzah. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Let me give you a little bit of history so we can see exactly what went on on this fateful day in the experience of David. Exodus chapter 25 records the law of God given to Moses for the establishment and the instructions of the worship of the nation and the people of Israel. 
concerning the tabernacle in the wilderness, the place where God would meet with his people, the place where they would gather to sacrifice and worship. And he told Moses, you will section off the tabernacle. You will have the court, you will have the holy place, and you will have the holy of holies behind a veil. And inside the holy of holies, you will have what is called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a box, and it was overlaid with gold. And inside the box was a copy, or the stones bearing the Ten Commandments, representing the law of God. Also inside that box, overlaid with gold, was a rod, a wooden rod that had buds on it, living buds on it. It was Aaron's rod. And if you remember from the book of Exodus, there was a debate over who should be the priest. And God said, I choose the priest. And they said, we want to choose the priest. And, and God, God broke out upon some people and he said, lay everybody's rod, all the rods on the table. And the one that did stick, that bears blossoms, will be the one I chose. And it was Aaron's rod that budded. It's a beautiful picture of the resurrection of Christ. And then also at the time, there was a pot of manna inside the Ark of the Covenant. And the lid of that ark was one piece made of solid gold, and it had cherubims with their wings pointing inward, and the lid was called the mercy seat. And it was that when God would show up in His glory, called the Shekinah glory, the cloud, and God would show up, that's where He would rest. That's where the cloud would come upon the lid of the ark of the covenant. And it became a symbol of the presence of God as the people of Israel adhered to the word of God. And that was how worship was to be. Now they were 40 years in the wilderness wandering until all of that generation except Joshua and Caleb had died. You remember that? And so that means they may be in one place for a few days or a few weeks or a few months or maybe a few years and then in another place. And then they would move to another place and they had to move the tabernacle so they would have their place of worship. And so on the corner of each of, of the ark, on each corner were rings and they would put golden staves through that golden rings. And the four Levites would carry the ark on their shoulders as bearers would carry it. And Numbers 14 says it had to be Levites, and they had to carry it that way. And if they touched it, they would die. That's what God said. That's the law of Moses. That's the word of God. Now, fast forward 375 years later. Samuel. 1 Samuel. Those events are taking place. The Israelites are in battle against the pagan, idolatrous Philistines. Their gods are multiple, and their main god is a half fish and half man. And they have their temples to the god Dagon, which is half fish, half man. That's what they worship. And the Israelites go out to battle against them, and they're in trouble, they're defeated. And they say, oh, we got to go get the ark of the Lord. We got to go get the ark of the Lord so we can defeat our enemy. And they go to the tabernacle and they get the ark of the Lord and they bring it into battle. But what had happened was is the, the, the symbol became more important than the substance. Can that happen in a church? They, they put more recognition on the lid than they did the Lord. And the Lord said, my instruments of worship, my symbols will not be used as idols to play with. And the Philistines, by the hand of the Lord, defeated Israel and stole the ark away. And they took it to their cities. And they put it in the city of Gath. And they put it in the temple of Dagon. And to make a long story short, chaos erupted. People began to die. They went the next day, 
and they saw their big old statue, half fish, half man, God had fallen down and broke it in half, and the people of Gath sent it to Ekron, another city, and the same thing happened, and people were dying and getting tumors, and it was awful. And the lords of the Philistines, five of them got together and said, we've got to do something about this. This ark is causing all this trouble. Let's send it back to Israel. So they called their wizards and their ministers and their magicians and their wise men together and said, what do we need to do? And they said, well, you need to make some golden rats because we're infested with rats. You need to make some golden tumors because we're getting tumors. And you need to take two milk cows, separate them from their calves, put it and build a new cart, put this ark on the cart, hook up the two cows and send it on its way and we'll get rid of it. And you know what happened? It worked. It worked. Whoa, it worked. And the cows pulled that new cart with the ark on it all the way to the city area of Beth Shemesh. And the men were in the fields working, and they saw the ark coming along. And it just rolled, those old cows just brought it right down to them. And the five lords of the Philistines saw it, and they rode away. And the men of Beth Shemesh got up into the new cart and they tried to open the lid of the ark and God killed them. And they took the ark and put it in the home of Abinadab, the man mentioned in our text. It was in his house for 75 years. The ark of the covenant was in Abinadab's house for 70 years. Five years. And while that 75 years is stretching out all of these things we've been preaching on since 2 Samuel 1 and even back in 1 Samuel, all these, all these things are taking place. And now David is king in Jerusalem. God's given him victory. It's time to establish the worship of the nation of Israel and he says, it's time to bring the cart from the house of Abinadab and bring it to Jerusalem. And David planned a huge worship service. Oh, are we going to honor the Lord? Are we going to worship the Lord when we bring the ark? And this happened. Wouldn't you agree with me that whatever he did that day, it was not worship. You agree with that? Let's look at not worship. Are you ready? First of all, let's look at the purpose of not worship. One striking thing about David and these 30,000 people and all these musicians was they were very sincere. They really were sincere in what they wanted to do and what they were trying to do for the Lord and for the people. Well, folks, worship needs to be sincere, but sincerity is not worship. Vody Bauckham. I, I like Vody Bauckham. I, I don't agree with him on everything, but I did agree with him on this. Very few things I uh, disagree with him on. He's a great preacher, but uh, I want to make that point, but Vody Bauckham said, had some great insight into worship in a sermon I heard him preach. He said, there's three reasons people come to worship. Now, I'm going to add a fourth just because I'm the pastor here and I can. No, I'm going to add a fourth because it's something that I've observed. But Vody Bauckham said, people come to church to worship for three reasons that are not worship. Number one is appeasement. Some people come on Sunday morning to appease God. They, they, they think God is mad at them. And so they want to offer a, a peace offering. They want to reach out to God and say, don't be so mad at me. And this may be you. And, and it boils down to this. You are here because you don't think you're worthy to be here. That's what appeasement looks like. I'm here because God is upset with me. Or I think God is mad at me and I want to appease him. I want him to be pleased with me, so I'm here. Another reason, he said, is manipulation. 
You're here because you're trying to get God's attention to move him to do something for you, to get a benefit from him. I like what Balkum said. He said, he put it like this, you're here to get his power extracted from him to you. And you want something that, from God, and so you're here to worship. And then another reason was catharsis, what he called catharsis. To have an emotional need met. To have some encounter with God that makes you feel good. Whether you get it from the music or whether you get it from uh, uh, the message or, or, or seeing other people and fellowship with other people. You're here for catharsis. You, you, you want some emotional experience today. And so you come to the church. And it gives you an opportunity to feel good. There's another aspect I would add to that, catharsis. Some people come to church because they want to feel bad. Did you know that? Let me tell you what I mean. I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard one of my church members say for the last decades, not only here but everywhere else, I want a preacher who steps on my toes. You ever heard that? Preacher, you hadn't preached till you stepped on people's toes. Now, usually when they say that, they mean everybody else's but theirs. But that's a, Cole, that's a catharsis. I come here because I want to feel good. I want to get an emotional feel good. I want to just hop on out of here. Or I want to go out of here like this. Either way, it results in the same thing. But let me tell you a fourth thing that I've observed. And Vody Bauckham's exactly right on that. Let me give you a fourth thing, though, that I've observed. Many people come to worship because of tradition or culture. It's just what you do. It's just what you do. Now, we are losing... This in the, in, in the state of Mississippi. Right now, only, well, less than 25% of the people of the state of Mississippi are in church anywhere. Did you know that? Over 75%, just over 75% of the people of the state of Mississippi say, we are not, we do not participate in a church, period. Any kind of religious thing. The fastest growing religion in the state of Mississippi is N-O-N-E, none. Did you know that? 67% disagree with the statement that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so we're losing that. But I will tell you this. For a man like me, who grew up going to church, I was a Baptist, nine months before I was born. I was faithful. I really was. My parents, my mama carried me to church. First in her womb, then in her arms. Always in their car. And I came every Sunday. I've heard, I've seen it all, heard it all. I've seen some of the most unique business meetings you'll ever see in a bad church. So for a guy like me and maybe even you young people who I see every Sunday and maybe some of you, it's very difficult to not be so familiar that we don't worship. You follow me? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But it's traditional. It's just what we do. It's just what we do. These four things are all starting points of not worship. And if I can be very pastoral, I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm trying to be a pastor today in my preaching and help you. I will say this. They never lead to worship these starting points. They never do. The starting point of worship 
is always one thing, to give God glory. To give Him glory in our praise and our thanksgiving. And it is done so when we obey Him in here together and out there in our families and in our own lives. And so, why are you here? What is the goal of you coming to church today? If it is anything but to give God glory, be thankful for this message because you can stand corrected right now. And when you leave here, you can say, I have worshipped my Savior. The goal needs to be to give Him glory. You say, well, preacher, it's too late. I'm already here. Come back next week. We're going to get it straight next week. But listen to me. The goal of worship needs to be, I want to give God glory. I've had many people through the years express to me why they came to church. I had a few of them through the years, uh, usually the same person, uh, tell me this. I came to church today because I got a bone to pick with you. We'll make it a chicken bone and we'll get along just fine. I've had people say that. Now, how in the world can somebody worship with that attitude? And how in the world can anybody... That spirit just infects the church like gangrene. But nonetheless, what is your goal today? Ask yourself that question. What is your goal today coming here? Is it to give God glory with, with thanksgiving, with praise? Just to worship Him and acknowledge His greatness, obedience to His Word, hear from His Word so you have what you know to do. None of these starting points on the screen lead to worship. They lead to not worship. Only the goal, I'm here, I'm coming to glorify God. That leads to worship. And so we begin to do so with obedience. Let me share something else with you that we see in this text. The pragmatism of not worship. One of the problems in the American church, in the modern American church, is pragmatism. It is the, uh, it, it's basically, in biblical terms, a form of idolatry that says, if it works then it must be the blessing of God. If it works, we need to try it. Notice the text. It starts out like it's working. 30,000 people show up at church for David's worship service. You see that? 30,000. Success. The crowd came. The ark was being moved. Everything looked great. They, they got it loaded at Abinadab's house. So far, so good. They're moving it down the road a little bit. It's good. It's working. Preacher, it's working. 30,000 people here are moving the ark. Hallelujah, we're worshiping. And then all of a sudden, but also the music was tremendous, Brother Jay. By the way, if you can play an instrument, you can come to the orchestra. That's a way to worship. Use your gift for the Lord. But they had an orchestra. It was huge. The instruments, they had harps, psalteries, timbrels, cornets, cymbals, instruments made of fir wood. They were, it was the woodwinds. It was glorious. Surely this is worship. And everybody was very happy. But at the time, David was happy. 30,000 people were happy. The orchestra was happy. Abinadab's boys were happy. It was all going so good. But the only one who wasn't happy was who? God. Can we be happy about something and God not be happy about something? even though we think he might be? Sure. Everybody was happy. Notice the idolatrous thinking that leads to pragmatism. 
All right? Pragmatism just says, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to worship God in our own way, and we're going to figure out how most people want to worship, so they'll just be a part of us, and we'll be successful. Well, let me give you four things connected with that. First of all is the sin of consultation. The sin of consultation. The sister text, the historical uh, text of this, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 let me read it to you and, and show you what David did to get to this point. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. So when David decided he wanted to do this, he consulted with a whole lot of people, all the leaders of Israel, the heads of the tribes, Levites, the priests. He consulted with everybody. I guess you could say he had a parlay, but he didn't pray. He consulted with everybody but God's Word. Just think if David had gone back to Numbers 14 or Exodus 25, how different chapter 6 would have been. Huh? Consultation. You consult God about what worship is. You don't consult one another. You certainly don't consult the lost world. You consult with God. You want to worship? You want to come in here to worship? You've got to talk to God. God, what do I need to do? And get in His Word, and He'll show you. The second sin that leads to pragmatism is the sin of imitation. What did they do? They, they built a brand new cart and said, we're going to build a new cart, and we're going to get some oxen, and we're going to put the ark on a new cart. Totally contrary to how God said to move the ark. Remember, God said you do it like this. And so they just completely ignored God's word on that, and they imitated the Philistines. They let the world dictate how they were going to worship their God and move the ark. They let the pagan Philistines, they followed their example. The Philistines worshiped a God that was a statue that was half fish, half man, and they said, we'll let them show us how to move the ark. Now, folks, you say, that's ridiculous, and indeed it is, but do you know how many churches are wanting to imitate the world and appeal to the flesh? God help us. I could get on that, but I'm not. i got to move on. So let's imitate the Jehovah-rejecting world and as long as it works, it's okay. And then there's the sin of inattention. Verse 3b, as the oxen shook the ark along the way at that threshing floor, it looked like it was going to fall to the ground. And so Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, reached up to stabilize the ark. He, he reached up to stabilize it. Now I imagine for a split second... Everybody said, oh, I appreciate Uzzah so much. He does so much around here. Boy, he just serves the Lord so uh, strongly, and he's so faithful, and he's going to keep that ark from, from falling off the cart. And then he met the wrath of God, and God killed him right there on the spot. God killed him right there on the spot. His sin was many things, but it was inattention for sure. We all talk about, we're going to talk about this in a few moments, but he was not attentive to the Word of God. He ignored it. He was not attentive to the people of God. Who was it who were to move the ark? Who, who was it to move the ark? He was not attentive whatsoever. As a matter of fact, he, um, 
was so familiar with the ark, it was in his family's home for 75 years. That may have contributed to his inattentiveness and how dangerous it is for people like me and you guys right here who grow up in Bible-preaching churches to get inattentive because you found something new to do or you think this is a good way to do it. It works. Let's do it. And you pay no attention to God's Word. None whatsoever. See, folks, here was, here's what Uzzah did and what David did. Not worship, what we're talking about today, not worship is very easy to do. Just don't pay attention. Just get up and come on. It's the calendar. It's the first day of the week. Get up and come on. It's easy to do. But worship, as we will see next week, is very difficult to do. Because we have to fight our sinful flesh to tell somebody else, thank you and you are better and stronger and mightier than me. You don't worship on accident. It just doesn't happen. There's some work that needs to be done. And Uzzah did not pay attention to this work in attention. And then the fourth sin that leads to pragmatism is celebration. They were celebrating. How can celebration be sin? Celebration, absent from consecration to God's Word, is sin. Celebration, apart from consecration, is sin. I can imagine as they walked along this road following this cart that they were singing to the top of their lungs. The, instruments were, the, the instrumentalists were playing their instruments. Hands were in the air. They were closing their eyes, looking so in tune with God. And as they lifted up their hands, they were everything but holy hands. And they were celebrating without consecration and obedience to the Lord God. Wow. And it led to pragmatism. If it works, let's do it. Think about pragmatism. It does work for a little bit, but then all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. Let's look at another thing. The penalty of not worship. Verse 6, death. God killed Uzzah. You believe the Bible? God killed Uzzah. I love the fact we sang that song about the unchanging word of God because when, you're, when you are a preacher, you know, um, 48 years I've been preaching, preached my first sermon 48 years ago. And I wish I'd known this and learned this lesson when I first started to anticipate objections to the text, if you're preaching the text. And one objection that uh, I, I want to uh, head off is, well, that was the God of the Old Testament. He's a New Testament gracious God today. We, we got, he's, he's not the same as he was back then. Well, we just, we just sang a song about the unchanging Word of God. And, and if I preach from Hebrews where it says God changes not, all of you going to say amen. So he doesn't change. So is this, is this the same God today? Does God still do this? Well, let's take a little trip. Let's go to Jerusalem. And let, let's, go to the, let's go to the finance committee meeting at the Jerusalem church. And we're sitting in the finance committee meeting of the Jerusalem church and say, well, where's Ananias and Sapphira? Well, where'd Ananias and Sapphira go? They're supposed to be at this meeting. We're planning the budget. And they say, well, Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira are dead. Well, what happened? And Peter says, well, they said they gave so much they gave all, and they only gave so much and kept back for themselves. That wasn't the problem. The problem is they lied to the Holy Spirit about it, and God killed them dead. You read that in the book of Acts. Well, let's go to the, let's go to the church at Corinth. Let's go to the Corinthian church. Preacher, um, boy, a lot of empty pews today. What's going on? Well, last week we took the Lord's Supper, and uh, Paul warned us, Paul told us to not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. 
And we took, some people took it in an unworthy manner. And you know what? Some of them are sick at home and some of them are dead. Read 1 Corinthians 11. Does God still kill people because they sin against his word? Go to the cross. And if he doesn't, then the cross was just a martyr, not a savior. And he did not die for your sin. God still slays outside of his Savior. Sin kills. Folks, this law, apart from Jesus Christ, will kill you. It will condemn you to hell. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus took your death. And that's how we give him glory today, if for no other reason... Maybe you've had a terrible day, a terrible week. If you're saved and know Jesus as your Savior, you can give him glory for that. And you should. But I want to tell you, that's, that is the penalty of not worship. You say, well, preacher, I've never known anybody that, that, that died like that, that God killed. How do you know? How do you know? I don't know. Now watch me get dead after church today that's fine I'll be in heaven and you'll never know why but I want to share with you folks that's the penalty the wages of sin is death the wages of sin is death let, let me head off something else now let me head off another objection you might be saying well good grief preacher you're talking about not worshiping I'm sitting here thinking, well, shoot, if I'm not worship, I might as well just stay at home. I, I might as well not even come. Next week's the Lord's Supper. Preacher, I, I, I hear you loud and clear. I'm not coming. Well, so far you have heard me loud and clear, but I'm not through. We still got some more verses in this text. Let me tell you the Christian response to this. The believer's response who knows Jesus. He still says in his word, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So we're commanded to come to church to worship. We're commanded in scripture. So you might come in here and not be right with the Lord, but you're certainly not right with the Lord if you stay at home. So you might as well be right with the Lord with the rest of us who aren't right with the Lord. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. Don't make me say that again. But see, the Christian life is lived in the very same way that we become a Christian. Galatians teaches us, didn't you enter into Christ by faith and repentance? The answer is yes. If you don't have faith in the gospel and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and have repented of your sin, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. And then he goes on to say, and we live it the same way, by faith and repentance. The Christian life is a constant Life of repentance. And that's exactly what David did in our text. He started to repent. He realized that what he was doing was not worship. And he said, I've got to get this right. I've got to repent. And that's how the Christian responds to the word of God. It's a life of repentance. We say, I change. I change my thinking. I change my mentality. I change the way I do things. For the glory of God. And so you might be sitting here saying, Preacher, I'm very discouraged about my worship experiences now. Am I one of these? Well, are you? If you are, this next point is for you. And I want to be honest with you, it's for me too. Because I struggle just like you do to get it to, to, to be what I ought to be when I come in here to worship the Lord. I struggle with it. Cole, I'm going to do it. Staff struggles a little bit more than all of you. You know why? When we walk in, we're bombarded with a thousand things. Women's restroom downstairs, loud of toilet paper. Huh? Hey, can you announce this? Can you announce this? Can you announce this? Hey, preacher, how's so-and-so? Folks, we're getting ready to worship. Why don't you just worship and call us on Monday? <laughs> Woo, I've been wanting to say that for 40 years. <laughs> Amen. Give me half your paychecks, brethren. I said it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. Huh? Woo. Miss Tracy. 
1-800-U-Haul, I think, is the number you need. <laughs> Amen. Give us a break. Let us worship the Lord, too. Amen. Miss Kathy's back there. I'm going to put it on Miss Kathy. When you were secretary here, we talked about it many times, didn't we? We're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to preach, folks. Look, if, if the paper towels are gone out of the bathroom, bring some from home. We'll reimburse you. Hallelujah. Oh, that's good preaching. But let's get in here with the intent. We're here to glorify God, and there's nothing negative about that. We're here to glorify God. And set your mind to that. Let's look at the last thing. The process of repenting from not worship. The process of repenting from not worship. Verse 8 and 9. Do you remember the beginning of this exposition? We talked about our starting point. The purpose of worship is to glorify God and, and to, to give Him worship. So how do you begin with that as your starting point? Well, I hate to tell you this. You're going to have to come back next week, and I'll tell you from the Word of God. The text will tell us. So come back, and we'll take the Lord's Supper, and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate this text, and we'll talk about how we, how, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to prepare for worship? But today, let's get our minds right to get it right. Let's talk about the repentance from not worship. And there's three things that happened to David right here that set him on the right track because next week was glorious. Next week was a wonderful worship experience. And so three things about David... And three things that you need to acknowledge and I need to acknowledge about our not worship to get to the point where we have worship. Amen? Here they are. Number one, anger. Anger. The Bible says in verse 8 that David was displeased by the Lord. As a matter of fact, the same Hebrew word that God that is used of God's displeasure with Uzzah when he killed him is the same Hebrew word of the displeasure of David toward God. God felt the same way about Uzzah as David felt the same way about God as God felt about Uzzah. He was that mad at God. Isn't that incredible? But such anger comes from a skewed thinking of God. It comes from a skewed idea of God. The number one question I have about this text, and I will tell you this, up until uh, last year when I started studying these texts, it was the number one question I had. And the number one question is this, Preacher, all Uzzah did was stretch out his hand. That's all he did was reach up to steady the ark. If he hadn't have done it, it might have fallen. Well, the fact of the business is, if it had fallen, what business is that of Uzzah? That's God's ark. Obey God and leave the results to him. But preacher, all he did, it was an instinct. It was a reflex. Yeah, he wasn't paying attention. And he reached up and he disobeyed God and touched the ark and God killed him right there. Now, so, Lord, it wasn't that serious an infraction. Why would he do it? It's not that your question and my question is wrong. It's what's behind that question. Not fully understanding God. He is gracious. Amen? And merciful. But he is also holy and just and judges sin. And if he was not holy and just and did not judge sin, then his grace would be very, very cheap and mean nothing. This text teaches us that God still judges sin. And that question arises in us. Now hear me out. I'm not getting on to you folks. I struggle with the same thing. So hear me out. 
That question gets into our heads because in reality, we're just like David. We're a little bit angry with God for killing Uzzah. We just don't think he should have done that because that wasn't that serious a sin. Well, to God it was, to a holy, righteous, and gracious, merciful God, it was. And he did it. And we need to understand that God judges sin. That propels us to worship and give him glory on Sunday morning, the very fact that he has been gracious to us. You say, well, why didn't he kill anybody else that day? Because he's sovereign and that's his prerogative. And for those of us sitting in this church today, we get the point. Amen. He is a holy, righteous God. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, he judges sin. And so let us stop and confess our little bit of anger and go to the next thing. David was afraid. That's what the Bible says. He was afraid. He was afraid of the Lord that day. If I were to say to fear God, what does that mean? 99% of us in this room would say it means to reverence Him. It means to have respect for Him. And that's correct. That's 100% accurate. But it is also 100% accurate to say to fear God means to be afraid of what He will do when we are disobedience. disobedient. That is a part of fearing God as well. Let me give you the Bible for that. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord... The terror of the Lord we persuade men. Paul also, or the author of Hebrews said, Wherefore we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we serve God. This is Hebrews 12. We serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. The author of the book of Hebrews says, the fear of God has, that says reverence Him. We serve Him with reverence. But he also said, and fear. He separated the two. Reverence and fear. And then he said, God is a consuming fire. I don't know about you, but a consuming fire is scary. It's scary. So yes, we do need to be afraid of what God will do to us if we are not obedient. David learned that lesson the hard way, didn't he? You say, well, I don't want a God that I'm afraid of. Well, what kind of God do you want? If you want a God that you're not afraid of, then you want a God that is afraid of you. I fear God. Now, when I'm saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, His love sheds abroad in my heart, and I want to serve Him in obedience because of love. That becomes the highest motivation, but fear is always there. Amen? And then, here's another thing. While God is not to be trifled with, He is not a tame God, as C.S. Lewis said. I will tell you this, verse 9, David went to the last step in repentance, and he asked. Verse 9 says, he asked, How will the ark of God come to me? How can I worship him? Now, next week, we're going to answer that question more fully, but I want to put it to you in just one name. Here's how you worship God. Jesus. Jesus. He took the wrath of God. He took the judgment of God for our sin and disobedience. And He is gracious to us. And that's why we need to repent of our not worship and come to Him. 
and through Jesus. And you talk to the Lord. And you, you ask him, Lord, I want to glorify you. You have to help me. You have to help me from being distracted by what's going on and, uh, and things going on in the sanctuary, rings and, 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 and kids running around, or what, whatever the case may be, the temperature. You have to help me so I can say thank you and sing the songs of our faith and give you adoration and praise. And if you lift up your hands, may they be holy hands. You want to lift up your hands, lift up your hands. But don't lift up your hands that are dirty. Prepare to come to the house of the Lord. Prepare to come to the house of the Lord with prayer and confession of sin and repentance. And you ask him, how can he come to me? It's through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few lessons and we'll move on. Um, first of all, if something we learn, if something you're doing is contrary to the Word of God, regardless of how successful it looks and how blessed it feels, it is not the will of God. Not the will of God. If it's contrary to the Word of God, it is not the will of God, period. And there could be a payday coming someday. I don't know why God shuts some things down immediately and then lets things go. I guess He's a patient and gracious God. Another thing, we heard it today in the song, God does not forget his word. They had not consulted the book of Exodus. That was over 400 years prior to this event. They forgot the instructions in his word, and God did not forget, and they clashed. Worship is to be sincere, but sincerity is not worship. Worship is to be emotional, but emotionalism is not worship. Worship is a celebration, but celebration is not worship. Worship begins with the fear of God, reverence and fear, and obedience to Him. And so this is going to be a strange invitation. First of all, how shall the ark of God come to you? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior... I want you to come forward after we pray as we're going to stand up. We're going to sing a song. It's called a song of appeal, a song of invitation. Cole and I are going to be standing up front. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior and you're not 100% sure that if you died today you'd go to heaven, I want you to walk down this aisle and say, Preacher, I want to be saved. That's all you got to say and we'll know what you're talking about. But if you are saved and you are a member of First Baptist Church, or maybe not. You don't have to be a member to do this. I want you to think about this message all week. It'll be on YouTube. You can go back and listen to it. I want you to think about it. I'm going to think about it. I've been thinking about it a long time. Think about it. Think about it. Am I going to be here next week when Sunday rolls the first day of the week and I come to church, am I going to walk through those doors with the purpose of glorifying God, regardless of what's happening in my life? And folks, listen, I know I'm taking some time, but listen to this. I know, I know, people, there has never been a week, never, where I did not know of someone in the congregation hurting and struggling in some area of life. I know that. I know that. So how can that person, you or you or you, come and worship God? Well, it is going to be with difficulty. It really is. But take heart, even if things are going good and great, it is still with difficulty. Because it's very hard to submit to the Lord. The world, the flesh, and the devil war against it. But let me just say this real quick. Ask God to help you. That's what David did. And God helped him in the next verses of this chapter. And then secondly, spend some time in the Psalms.
Psalms, the worship book of the Old Testament, the Hebrew hymn book. And you'll see that David started out sometimes, or the author of a psalm started out, Woe is me. God, why have you forgotten me? I'm struggling. God, I'm angry with you. And then by the end of the psalm, he's saying, But I will rejoice in your name. And you have to ask God and let the Word of God speak to you and prepare your heart to come in here and give Him glory. Give Him glory. And sometimes giving His glory may just be giving your burden to Him. Acknowledging He alone can help it. And you're not going to try to solve it anymore. You're going to obey God. That's worship. Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. So that's the invitation. Let's stand for our song of appeal. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.